G'day Dave here and we're going to be having a look at the third of our installments in this series on love but as we do let's come before God and pray. Heavenly Father we thank you for your love for us. We pray that we'll take hold of your love. Please by your spirit help us to understand it. Uh, we pray that we'll come to appreciate more and more of the depths of your love as we look at your word today and that you'll move us from the inside out to respond to your love by loving you in return. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Now, quick recap. Uh, back in week one, we saw that love doesn't start with us. It starts with God. And the supreme example of God's love for us is that he sends his son Jesus to die for us. Week two, we see that love from God to us in Christ is a powerful motivator to live differently. Once the apostle Paul meets the resurrected Jesus, he realizes that he can no longer live for himself, but for him who died and was raised again. Now we look at our response to the God who saves us in Jesus. But I'm going to go back and look at this from an Old Testament perspective, first of all. And we need to keep in mind the context. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you haven't read this yet, I encourage you to do so. Uh, you might even want to pause now and go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 6. Make sure you've got it open in front of you because I don't want you to believe me. I want you to believe what the Bible says. And we see in Deuteronomy that God has brought his people right to the edge of the promised land. Uh, in chapter 5, uh, Moses reminds them of the Ten Commandments. And in the beginning of Deuteronomy, we see that the journey that they've come on was an 11-day journey. Uh, to get from where they'd come from to the edge of the promised land. But they've been on this journey for 40 years. That's right, 40 years. 11-day journey takes 40 years. That's incredible, isn't it? And, and you see that it's come about because God's people turned against him. Uh, God has just rescued them, but so quickly they forget the saving God. And so here they are, they're about to enter into the promised land, and Moses is keen that they remember, they remember what God has done. And so their response is to be a response of love for God. Now we're going to look at this and what we'll see here are some of the most important and foundational verses for our response to God in the whole of the scriptures. Uh, let's pick it up at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now we're going to look at this verse when Jesus picks it up in the New Testament next week. Jordan uh, Peterson will be uh, opening up God's word and we'll look at that there. But let's look at it now back in its context. And I want to look at five things. First of all, to listen, to love, to learn, to leave a legacy, and lest we forget. Five things, they all start with our listen, love, learn, leave a legacy, and lest we forget. First of all, you'll notice in verse 4, hear, O Israel, hear. Uh, if, if we could put this a little bit more strongly, it's listen up. I mean, I've got something important to say. In Hebrew, it's the Shema. The Shema. And the Shema is something that's said in Jewish synagogues to this day. Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel, listen to what I've got to say. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, there seems to be a lot of repetition there, doesn't it? The Lord 
Our God, the Lord, is one. And in the Hebrew, there's only four words here. It's Lord, God, Lord, one. And what you've got, if you look closely at the word Lord there, you'll see that it's in all capitals. And uh, you can discover why it's in all capitals if you look at the contents or the early kind of descriptions in the Bible translation that you've got. Because the English Bibles use this word Lord in capitals to pick up on the Hebrew name of God. It's not simply saying, here is God your God. It's saying, here is the name of God who is the God. And in Hebrew, there are four uh, consonants. Yeah, it's like in English, Y-H-W-H. And we don't know exactly what vowels to put with the consonants. Uh, you can add in vowels and people say Yahweh. Yahweh being the name of God. That is the name that God gave his people as he rescues them to make them his own. And so the name Yahweh, if we use that translation, Yahweh says something more than simply there's a being out there who is God. Yahweh says there's a God who cares, there's a God who loves, there's a God who's rescued you so that you might belong to him and be his treasured possession. That's what's on view here. And it's saying this God, this Yahweh God, he is God and he is the one. He is the only one. So listen up. Yahweh, he is your God. And see, as God's people hear that, and as they're reminded of that in the synagogues, even to this day, they are looking back to the fact that this God who made himself known, this personal God, is the God who's rescued them. So starting point, remember you've been rescued by God, and God has made you his own. So then what are we to do, having listened? Well, the flip side of this is that we are to love. We are to respond to God by listening to him and hearing that we have been saved by God, that should move us to love God in response. And uh, that's what we've got here in verse 5, these famous words. Uh, here, Jesus says, this is the greatest of the commandments. Love the Lord your God. Notice again, it's love Yahweh your God. This is the God who saved you with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, the basic idea here of love, it's not simply a feeling of, oh, gee, I'm, I'm, I'm so indebted. It's not just gratitude. It's not attraction. It's not a feeling that's on view here. Fundamentally, it's the idea of, of give loyalty to God and only to God. See, there's only one God. That's Yahweh. So be loyal to Yahweh above all others. Now, that doesn't mean it's, it's lacking in gratitude. It doesn't mean it's lacking in feeling or emotion or attraction or anything like that. In fact, you can see that in a marriage service. Because in the marriage vows, it says, will you love this person forsaking all others? See, it's a question about loyalty. Will you make your husband the only one? Will you make your wife number one to the exclusion of all others? See, Israel have been saved by God and God is calling them to love him and love him alone. The only God. Love Yahweh. And to do that with all your heart. The, the heart in the Hebrew is not the organ that pumps uh, blood through the body. It's the idea of the mind, the will, where our priorities and values and purpose lie. That is, we are to love God with our very mind, with all that we are, our, our soul, our life and with all of our strength, with full intent. In other words, we're to be 100% uh, all in when it comes to loving God.
In fact, if you go down to the last verse of this chapter, verse 25, uh, Moses says, If you're careful to obey all that this law says before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be your righteousness. Now, of course, there's a problem, isn't it? Because who could obey this law fully? Who, who could match this requirement? Who could say in all honesty that they've loved the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul and with all their strength? Now, you see, it's really important that we keep a couple of things in mind. Yes, we cannot say that we've done that. In fact, no one can say that they've done that uh, but, but one, Jesus. Jesus is the only person who, through all of history, could ever say that he's loved the Lord his God with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength. And you see, he did that for us. Jesus dies in our place and he takes our unrighteousness upon himself. And he pays the price for it. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see uh, weak and unrighteous and faulty people. He sees Jesus and Jesus' righteousness. We are clothed in his righteousness if we put our trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. So that's why we've got to look back and we've got to start with God's love for us in Christ. So God is calling us now, having saved us in Christ, to love him with all of our being. It's like what we saw back in uh, Romans chapter 12. In view of God's mercy, to offer our whole bodies as living sacrifices. Uh, nothing short of that is appropriate. If God has given everything, if his son Jesus has died on the cross for us, then no part-time response is adequate, is it? Yeah, I'll love God a little bit on Sundays. I'll love God a little bit when I'm reading my Bible or, or saying my prayers or when I'm feeling good about God. Then I'll love him. But the rest of the time, well, you know, if I remember. Now, we can only put this into practice by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, to listen, to love, to learn. Notice that this is not something that Israel were to take lightly. They needed to focus on the importance of loving God by being loyal to him and keeping his commands. And we see this in verses 6 through to 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and on, and on your gates. Now, what he's saying basically is learn these commands, focus on these commands, have your life shaped by these commands. Uh, I, I take it these different images of when you lie down and when you get up and when you're going for a walk and when you're talking with your family and when you're looking at your doorposts and when you go out your front gate. In other words, in everything you do in life, focus on loving the one who has saved you. That's what he's saying. Now, of course, some of the Jewish people took this very literally and they had things uh, on their hands and they had things on their foreheads. Uh, and even to this day, sometimes people do that. They put a sign up, uh, a Bible verse to remember, or, or maybe they'll have something that keeps popping up on their screen each time they turn on their phone uh, or they open up their laptop. Or maybe there are people who have actually tattooed Bible verses onto themselves. There are all kinds of different ways of remembering 
and learning what God has done for us. And we are being encouraged here to take up every opportunity we can, not to be loose and frivolous, but to realize that this is actually the most important thing that we could ever focus on, God's love for us in saving us. For Israel, it was the Exodus. For us, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Not only are we to learn these things, but we are to make sure that these things don't stop with us, that we pass them on, that we leave a legacy, that there are multiple generations of people. Notice the specific words in verse 7. Impress them on your children. That is, you want your children to know the love of God in Jesus Christ. You want your children to understand that there's salvation available in Christ. You want your kids and your grandkids to put their trust in Jesus so that this life is not frivolous and meaningless and pointless, that it's not all about selfish accumulation, but they know that there's value and purpose in serving God in this life and in the life to come eternity. But we need to share that with our children. We need to live that out in front of our children. We need to take the opportunities to open the scriptures with our kids, to pray with our kids, to talk about the things of God, to to understand what's going on in our world and, and show our kids and our grandkids what God has to say about these things as they see stuff going on around us, a pandemic and car accidents and international warfare and all kinds of horrific things on the news basically every day. What does God have to say about this? You see, parents will leave a legacy whether they want to or whether they don't. They will be role models whether they choose to or whether they choose not to because our kids will see what we do. They'll listen to how we speak. They'll see the things we value. And if we're never going to church, why would they think it's important? And if we're never opening the scriptures, why would they think it matters? And if we just send them along to be taught by somebody else at a Christian school or or at a Sunday school at church, but they never see us taking the word of God seriously and living it out in our homes, what do you think they think is going on? Friends, whose responsibility is it to raise uh, children, to know the gospel, to know what God has done for them in Christ? It's the parents' responsibility. It's the grandparents' responsibility. It's the church family's responsibility as we love and serve and care for each other. We should be praying for our children. We should be focusing on resources for the ministry to our children. Yes, in church, but at home as well. Have you got children's Bibles? Have you got some good Christian books that your teenagers can be grappling with? Are you pointing them to some helpful websites or or some great YouTube clips? Are you focusing on how to read the Bible and how to pray and, and why it's valuable to meet together and how to share what we believe in a world that's just so different? See, this is what it is to teach our children. Uh, to pass these things on, to talk about them when we're at home, when we're in the car, when we're heading down to the surf, picking up on the opportunities that are there to leave a legacy. And finally, the key thing in this passage is, and it's right throughout, lest we forget. See, he doesn't want them to forget. He doesn't want them to forget how quickly uh, things have changed for them. But you see, for Israel, it only took a few days, not even that, before they are whinging about the circumstances. They're not as good as they were back in Egypt, but back in Egypt they were slaves. God has rescued them. 
And I think sometimes even as Christians, we can look back and think, oh, was life easier before I met Christ? It Would it be better if I wasn't a Christian? Friends, let's remember what God has done for us in Christ. There's a couple of particular aspects to remembering here. Listen to these words in verses 10 to 12. When the Lord your God, again Yahweh, your saving God, brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give you, a land with large flourishing cities that you didn't build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you didn't provide, wells that you didn't dig, vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord, Yahweh, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. To bring that into the present, he's saying, when things are going well for you, when you're being blessed, uh, perhaps with material prosperity, when things are cruisy and enjoyable in life, when good things are happening, when you're loving your church, uh, when you're enjoying the life that God gives you, do not forget your saving God. The great temptation, I think, for us is that the more we have, the less we think we need God. Whether it's understanding and intellect, whether it's uh, affluence, bank accounts, properties, possessions, uh, whether it's happy relationships and, and family and friends, whether it's hobbies and activities, sports. So the more we've got going on, the less we think that we need God because life's really pretty good anyway. And there's a great danger. Let's not forget that we were God's enemies. We were sinners. We were ungodly. We were powerless to do anything. And God demonstrates his love for us in this that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But there's another danger as well, and that is the danger of when things don't go well. Listen to these words in verse 16. Do not put the Lord, again Yahweh, your God, to the test as you did at Massa. What went on in Massa? Well, back in Exodus chapter 17, Israel, they've kind of been through the waters, they've been saved by God, and they get out, into the desert area and they've got no water and they grumble and they complain and they are so angry with Moses that they're ready to stone him. Now God provides them with water. In fact, God will provide them with water and manna for 40 years in the wilderness. But they, in seeing the struggle and the hardship, turn away from God turn away from Moses. They grumble, they complain, they get violent, they act out. And so the danger is when we go through difficult times, when we struggle, again, we can forget that God has demonstrated his love in Christ. Someone gets struck down with a serious illness. I can't possibly trust in God anymore. Why not? Does that mean that he hasn't sent Jesus to die for you? Now he's demonstrated his love for you in something that circumstances will never undo. Whether you're healthy or whether you're sick, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, or whether you've just got what you need. God's love for you is not contingent on your circumstances. No, God's love for you is grounded in the saving work of Jesus Christ. So don't forget that. It's that truth that will enable you to push through the ups and the downs 
it will give you equilibrium in remembering that God loves you in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And if God didn't spare his son Jesus in order to love you, do you think he's going to let that crumble? Do you think he's going to let that fall? Do you think he won't care for you through the ups and downs of your life? Of course he will. Doesn't mean it won't be hard. Doesn't mean there won't be times that are joyful and terrific and easy. But in all of that, don't focus on self and don't focus on your circumstances. Turn your hearts back to Jesus. Now, the history of the Bible is not particularly happy when it comes to the outcome of these words to God's people. Here they are about to enter the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that had everything and it's God's gift to his people. And yet so quickly they forget. In fact, I want to read you some sobering, sobering words from Judges. Uh, Just a generation uh, after God's people had uh, left Egypt and uh, come into the promised land. And this is what we read in Judges chapter 2. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up, okay, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They'd been told back before they entered into the land not to forget. They'd been told to listen up. Uh, to love God with all their heart and soul and and strength. They'd been called upon to make sure they just have that in front of them at every opportunity. They'd been called upon to teach that to their children, to be ready to give an answer to their children when they say, why are we doing these things? Why are we uh, meeting together? Why are we celebrating this Passover meal? Why are we opening this word? To be able to point them to God's saving acts. And yet within a generation, there are kids who grow up to neither know the Lord or what he had done for Israel. Friends, that is a serious warning. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, it says, and they served the Baals. The Baals. Yahweh is God. Yahweh alone. And yet they serve false gods that aren't really gods at all. They forsook the Lord, Yahweh, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt, They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They wanted to fit in. They wanted to syncretize. They didn't want to go against the flow. Friends, there's a warning for us, isn't it? How quickly we can forget. We stop reading our Bibles. We stop talking about God with our children. We stop taking our kids along to church with us. We find other things to fill our time. And a generation grows up that neither knows God or knows what he's done for them. Let's not forget. Let's remind ourselves and let's remind our children and our grandchildren of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And of course, we could go to the Gospels. We could go to any part of the New Testament. And we must. We must keep opening up God's word and seeing again and again what it is that God has done. For example, let me read these words. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For it is by grace that you are saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. 
for you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, that's something worth writing on your doorposts, putting on your arms, putting on the mirror, the back of the toilet door, talking about when you're driving in the car or when you're sitting around the dinner table, that what we have in Christ has been gifted to us. It's grace. And all we can do is take hold of the gift by trust, by faith. And as we do that, we have no basis for boasting, but only thanking God for what he's gifted us in Christ so that we can now live no longer for ourselves, but to do the good works that God's prepared in advance for us to do. Why don't we talk about that together? And why don't we help our kids to see that in action by the way that we live? And to encourage others to do the same. See, here we are in Salt Church in 2021. We need to listen up. We need to be reminded that Yahweh is God, Yahweh alone, and that Jesus Christ, He is Lord. He is God. He is Saviour. And there's only one name under heaven given to people by which people can be saved, and that is the name of Jesus. He is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to God except by Jesus. And we live in a world that wants all kinds of different ways. But friends, there is only one way. And that's the way that God himself has provided in Christ. So let's love him with all our being. Let's give our lives as living sacrifices in response. And let's learn what God has done as we pray this prayer in Ephesians 3 that we might know the breadth and depth and height and and width of the love of God. Let's ask God to so fill us with an appreciation of his love that we are moved to love him with all our heart and soul and strength in return. And let's encourage our kids and let's not forget.